you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. LAS Studios. So the 10 freeway is still closed. Um, I think I'm going to get off the freeway soon just to not hit all of the bottleneck that's coming up. Oh, I think I just, I think I just hit the bottleneck. Uh, I do want to note now that on the surface streets here on Alameda Street, um, it is packed. Uh, uh, heading east, it, it, is, it is packed. But it might not be as bad as you think. This is How to LA, the podcast that helps you navigate this city. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. So you probably heard... Arson is suspected in that fire over the weekend that shut down portions of the 10 freeway between the East LA Connector and Alameda Street. They do not have any definite answer yet, except for the fact that it was arson. That's LA Mayor Karen Bass. Investigations into exactly what happened are still ongoing. But the bigger question for a lot of folks is likely this. When is the freeway going to get fixed and be usable again? As of Tuesday morning, the outlook was pretty good. The estimate currently is three to five weeks. We're going to do everything in our power to move that uh, into the more immediate future. That's Governor Gavin Newsom. The freeway does not need to be rebuilt, just repaired. And officials say it could take about three to five weeks. That's going to bring some relief to folks who've had to divert their commutes. So there's like really bad traffic. I got here like 30 minutes late. It's a great area down here, but this traffic is going to kill it for the next few weeks down here. Only about 450 feet of the 10 is affected, including 90 concrete support columns. But the damage is in a critical spot by Alameda Street downtown. The closure cuts off connections to the 5, the 101, and the 60 freeways. And about 300,000 cars drive through this area every day. It is Tuesday morning. I just left my house in West Adams, entered the 10 freeway at La Brea, and everything was smooth until I got to the, let's see, this is the Vermont exit, heading east. I heard from Jason Clark, who was grabbing food downtown, and Christopher Rodriguez, an employee at the Burger Spot Farmer Boys. Okay, after stopping by this diner, burger joint on Alameda and Bay, I have to say... Traffic is trafficking. It's giving a little bit of chaos. We've been getting less customers and it's been way slower for us. Since the freeway isn't really running right now, not many people could come this way. I live right there, Little Tokyo. Uh, I come down here for breakfast, but as soon as you get to 6th Street, it's, it's literally a line of cars to the next block, to the next block, to the next block. 
But what we find is that people are very flexible. They adjust. That's Marlon Bornett. He's a professor of urban planning and spatial analysis at USC's Price School of Public Policy. You'll hear from him in just a bit. The 10 freeway's been damaged before. It literally broke in 1994 when the Northridge earthquake knocked out bridges near La Cienega and Washington. It was fixed quickly, early even, and it seems like the city's going to repeat that playbook. All of this got us thinking about this intricate freeway system we have, this thing we are so reliant on, and how, when a small part of it suddenly shuts down, it can append the city. But what to do about that? Joining us to talk about this is Professor Marlon Bornett. So um, we're going to get into the latest news in just a minute, but what was your initial reaction when you heard about the fire and the freeway closure last weekend? So I heard about the fire and the freeway closure on the news. Uh, My reaction might have been different from a lot of people's reactions, and I don't want to minimize things. It's a big issue. But my first thought is, you know what? People are going to figure out ways around it. It'll be an issue. It will be annoying. We're going to get through it. And I understand that that's an oddball reaction, but that was what (laughs) I thought. People do adjust. Uh, But when they are adjusting, they're adjusting at some cost to themselves. They're leaving at a time of day when they may not have wanted to leave. Maybe they're working from home, but that's a little bit inconvenient. So the adjustment is happening, but, you know, that that's not a costless adjustment. When the impact on the freeway became clear on Sunday, Mayor Karen Bass said, quote, this structural damage calls for the same level of urgency and effort, end quote, as it did when the freeway broke during the Northridge earthquake. Your thoughts? I think that's a good initial analogy. Um, And in fact, when you have a complete disruption of the transportation system, uh, it is it is an emergency. I do think it makes sense to treat it like an emergency. Yeah, I mean, back then, the freeway was famously fixed in record time. Do you remember what happened? I, I actually uh, was part of a research team studying the impacts of the freeway damage of the Northridge earthquake. And one thing that I would say occurred from the research perspective, the freeway repairs happened so quickly that we actually found that the phenomenon that we were studying, that the disruption, was basically being repaired in a matter of months. It was this weird position where as researchers, we were caught a little off guard at how mm-hmm. quickly they were moving. The short answer is that they used some very innovative contracting techniques, including um, the contractor on the repair earned bonuses, Uh, I don't remember the dollar amount, but they were substantial for every day that they finished before the deadline. And they had fairly large financial penalties for being late. Um, And that plus a whole lot of removal of red tape, working on it 24-7, they basically cleared all kinds of barriers and uh, provided this very large financial incentive to the contractor to move quickly. It sounds like bonuses and incentives will again be part of the deal to get this freeway repaired quickly. I would not be at all surprised if the contracts in this case look quite similar. What that means is that you're giving the contractor a financial incentive to finish even earlier than expected. So that is that is a possibility. And, you, you know, I can imagine people saying, why wouldn't you just do this for every freeway project. And the short answer is that um, there's some things that you do when you feel like you must move fast that you would not do in the normal day-to-day. 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the area where the damage occurred and why it's such a critical spot in our freeway infrastructure. I'm talking about the business districts and highway interchanges that truckers and other commuters ride on. It's so important to this area, right? That segment carries close to 300,000 vehicles per day. Um, And that makes it one of the busiest stretches of freeway in the nation. And it's the combination of uh, what you just said, uh, being close to downtown, an important east-west artery uh, for people who are, are not necessarily going downtown and the business traffic. We'll continue this discussion after the break and get into some of those bigger lesson learned kind of questions. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theatre Company at the Los Angeles Theatre Center, presenting the world premiere of Mix Mix, The Filipino Adventures of a German-Jewish Boy by Boney B. Alvarez. Inspired by true events from the life of Ralph Price, after escaping Nazi Germany, a newfound tropical refuge in the Philippines is upended when Japan invades the islands. On stage through June 16th, tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. Alrighty, we are back with USC professor of urban planning, Marlon Bournet. I, I do want to take a little moment to talk about uh, the freeway and kind of the culture we have with it. Um, it doesn't just get people from point A to point B, but it also cuts through a lot of neighborhoods and communities. How do these incidents affect a city like LA and its people, its, its residents? There's a lot of things going on with freeways that I think don't get discussed. Uh, Part of it, Los Angeles has this culture of being a car city. Uh, It seems like few things focus our attention as a loss of a major freeway. But I think you're kind of hinting at something that's a little deeper, which is um, why are the freeways where they are? Mm -hmm. What kinds of of communities were affected by the building of the freeways? Uh, And and this is a really interesting point, Brian. Um, As much as we think about freeways in L.A., and boy, do we think about them a lot. We spend very little time thinking about why they were built, where they were. And that's a uh, an important and not positive story. Many freeways in the U.S. cut through lower income neighborhoods, uh, displaced uh, in some cases thousands, in some cases multiple of thousands, households, and those were often communities of color. Some of the freeways in Los Angeles have that legacy. Um, they, th- there are serious equity questions. I, I don't want to simplify this too much, but if you wanted to think of a simple way to think about it, in a lot of locations, freeways were put through and uh, low-income communities uh, where the residents were exposed to the noise and the air quality disadvantages. And those freeways then deliver travel benefits to predominantly upper-income communities. So that kind of structure of how the freeways were planned uh, was not equitable. And it's it, it's interesting that we still don't really grapple with that, maybe as much as we should. 
Oh, that's such an important point because I know that there are nonprofits uh, working on that, specifically about the air pollution, right, and the displacement of residents. I live in West Adams, and the 10 freeway is literally my backyard. Uh, and I think about the ways that it displaced many people in the 1950s and 60s, um, in those communities, you know, back in the day. The 10 freeway itself really severed what was a historically Black community from the rest of Los Angeles and likely led to part of the economic decline of that community. The freeways became barriers that maybe reinforced patterns of segregation. Now, on the flip side, the, the freeways are the infrastructure for a transportation technology that at the time, the automobile was providing a tremendous increase in connectivity. So they did a lot of good. They they also created a lot of harmful impacts. Talking from environmental impact to the commutes and the city as a whole, as a you know city that moves and shakes through transportation, if you could give our current freeway system a grade, what would it be and why? You know, I grade students all the time. <laughs> And I have to think about how I would grade the freeway system. Um, I'd say, first of all, the congestion levels on the freeway system tend to be high. But I think the bigger problem there, I would give Los Angeles somewhere around kind of like a C plus for what I would call multi multimodality. Hmm. We are trying to build a rail system, a bus system, walkable neighborhoods. We still haven't got there. So I'd give it kind of a C plus. By the way, LA Metro is doing great work on this. C plus for Im- impact or maybe even lower, maybe a C minus. But for effort, I would actually come in at somewhere around a B to B plus. Our state regulatory air quality agencies are devoting an incredible amount of attention to trying to um, improve air quality in the inco- in the neighborhoods that have been affected by poor air quality. They've got some very ambitious efforts. So, you know, I, I, I might get close to an A for effort for those agencies. The current impacts are very bad, but our agencies are really focused on cleaning the air in those neighborhoods very rapidly. So there's a lot of attention. So, Brian, maybe I've given you a, it's complicated <laughs> as an answer. I apologize for a that. A complicated C. I'll take it. As we continue to build more freeways or maybe add to existing ones, whether that's the bus lane on the freeway or something else, what should people in charge really be thinking about? You know, the people in charge are, by and large, thinking about the things that they should be thinking about. So these, the things I'm about to say already are getting a lot of discussion. Um, dedicated bus lanes dedicated bus rapid transit lanes would be a big improvement. There are particular bus corridors where the buses are essentially stuck in the same traffic that cars are stuck in. And that does not give buses the time and speed advantage that they should have. So uh, I would say if I could cite one thing, uh, if we could go in and uh, take a lane of traffic and and provide a dedicated bus lane, you know, if you take a lane of traffic away, drivers all of a sudden get worried. Oh, my gosh, I'm losing a lane. Will this be a traffic nightmare? Maybe if we could communicate, no, it won't be. How we could rebalance our transportation system, because there's a lot more potential for rebalancing than I think people usually imagine. 
Marlon, thank you so much for joining me today. It was so awesome talking to you and I learned lots. Thank you. Great to talk, Brian. That's Marlon Bournette. He's a professor of public policy and spatial sciences at USC's Price School of Public Policy. And that is all from us today. We'll be back here tomorrow with photographer Elon Schoenholz. He's taking us on a tour of his downtown. That's before the freeway shut down, of course. Hang out with us tomorrow for that chat. Also, if you have any questions, feedback, or want to share some love, reach our team at howtola at scpr.org. This episode was produced by our intern, Tony Morales and Victoria Alejandro. The rest of the How to LA staff includes Megan Botel, Evan Jacoby, Monica Bushman, and Erica Washington. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes LA a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.